It just goes into this thing that I mentioned before that they don't have laws here because this area doesn't officially exist. And they're drinking and it's claws. And it's not covered <laughs> under any sort of... Steve, yeah, it's not because it doesn't exist. <laughs> it's because the claws. amount of alcohol and seltzer water they are imbibing on this... this I mean, is, every, time a soldier, every time a pilot gets off of a flight and he, he takes on a claw, it exists a little less. Phasing in and out of reality... As we know, the pilot, the pilot Steve, during the mission, he had a camelback on where he was drinking white claws. He had consumed too much white claws, crashed into the the desert, and then they were able to bulldoze it over because they they did the landmark decision of there ain't no laws when you're drinking claws. Alright, so today we're going to be talking about Area 51. You know, if we were If we were a little more on the ball, we probably would have done this before the, the nothing burger that was the, the Storm Area 51 event. I don't know, Steve. But I feel like they raised a lot of awareness for a place we don't talk about very often. It's true, and I feel that a big part of Area 51 that we don't talk about that should be sort of looked at is not whether or not they have aliens there, but just as sort of how the government utilizes land out in these areas and sort of the legacy of, of big government programs that were used in these areas. So to be clear, are we going to be talking about aliens or... We, we'll, we'll get to that, but we're mainly going to be talking about the facility itself, what we do know that they did there, and then what has been alleged. Okay, okay. But but no, we're not going to be talking about clapping cheeks. Do you mean like Cla- dummy thick aliens? Dummy or? thick yeah. alien cheeks. Well, so here's the thing. Uh, there was a live stream uh, the day that the Area 51 raid was occurring, and I actually watched it for about an hour. There was like maybe 200 people that showed up, and I was very disappointed. That was it, it that low? One, I mean, yeah. I, on this live stream that I saw anyway, there was like maybe 200 people. Weird. I was just disappointed the, that there was only that one Naruto runner, too. Well, that's because all the other ones were just moving too fast for you to fucking see them. Yeah, they were they were hidden. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have all your chakras unlocked. You don't even yeah. you don't even have a Sharingan, so you can't see them. You gotta charge my crystals. Moving as quickly as they can, yeah. yeah the Hokage actually entered the base. All right, the we'll, Hokage we'll, we'll, is in we'll, the base. We'll, so we'll, we'll talk about the actual Area 51 today, then. We'll, we'll talk about Bob Lazar, and Bob Lazar is mainly sort of where all of this Area 51 having aliens talk comes from. He looks like Rick Moranis. He, like, growing up in an area that had a lot of defense contractors, he looks like some people I know is like dads, like guys who worked in sort of like engineering jobs or the defense industry, like sort of similar... Very basic haircuts. Very squirrely. Sort of like skinny, skinny, like squirrely nerd guy with like glasses. Yeah, this guy literally looks just like Rick Moranis in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You know what's crazy though? It's like my neighbor, I can't say his name, but it's a great name. Uh, he just moved away recently. He's like in his 80s and he worked for Martin. Not Lockheed Martin, but Martin. Before it was Lockheed Martin. And up on the wall, when I went over to fix his computer, he had a. Uh, the nose cone from a Hellfire missile. 
<laughs> I was like, what is that? And he's like, it's one of the original nose cones from a Hellfire missile. What? And he didn't look like Rick Moranis. <laughs> <laughs> no, this guy looks like, like a straight old, up nerd. An old Southern man. He was he was the Chad. The Chad. He was the, yeah, uh, he was the Chad of the defense contractor. <laughs> yeah, if, he, if he's the Chad, then Bob Lazar is definitely the Virgin. He's the Virgin. Yeah, he's the the Virgin, the Virgin fake defense, defense contractor, contractor, which we'll yeah. get to. Um, so to get us started, just sort of the Groom Lake area, which is where Area Fifty One is located. Um, Groom Lake is a is a dry lake bed. Um, some some have sort of called it a salt flat. Um, it's kind of hard to tell because nobody really can go there, as it were, today, and it's sort of been shut down for the past um, 60, 70 years. Um, not that anybody was really going out there to begin with. So the base the is shut down? No, the base is still active. I mean, you know, just like people from the public who could go there and say, like, this is what's here. Okay. Okay. Yeah, like it's still there, and if you tried to get in, you would be shot dead. Yeah. As, as you would have probably seen in the, the live stream, because I did see some pictures where they went up to one of the gates. And they got killed? <laughs> well, they didn't cross the gate. So so Ryan was sitting there listening to it, you're saying, and there's 200 people there, and then he's like, 198? <laughs> <laughs> he's, just, he's just hoping for someone to go for it. It's like... It's like I'm, watching NASCAR. I got all I'm my money gonna, on 194. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Part of the reason that I even tuned into that live stream was hoping that somebody would do something stupid. Oh, a fucking course. That's Absolutely. Like how I just wanted to That's... see like a group of maybe 10 or 15 of them just go streaking across the fucking desert. The and one just see guy who to take off and just, yeah. Like, I just yeah, want to see shit get nutty well, for like 30 seconds. We'll, we'll sort of talk about this, but some people say like that, that whole like they can't stop us all thing. And it's like, well, well, yeah, they can because laws don't exist in this area for a number of reasons. Wait, what? Which so, which will which will sort of address? Okay, but you're saying if like let's just shortcut for one second, laws don't exist, and that whole they can't stop us all thing would only apply to an extremely large group, from what I've read online, like just from random, you know, Reddit experts, you know, which are totally reliable. They would- yeah. They would probably have to overwhelm the security there, which is mostly today um, th- sort of third-party uh, private security companies that right. guard the outside of the base. Right. They would have to get past them, but other than that, you know, they can they can pretty much do anything they want there. Because um, the you can't really get that close to Area Fifty One. The nearest viewing point to the public is twenty-six miles east. Which is this um, tip of this mountain range? It's called Tikaboo Peak. Peek-a-boo. I feel like it should be called Peekaboo Teak. Peekaboo. It's it's 26 miles away. Um, previous to that, the closest point was Freedom Ridge, which was 12 miles away, and also Whitesides, which was nearby and was also around 12 miles away. What do you mean previously? Those, they they were accessible until 1995. And what the federal government has essentially done in the military is they've bought areas around Area 51 through eminent domain and just just sort of also – because a lot of this is owned through the Bureau of Land Management, meaning that the federal government already owns these lands to begin with, and it's just sort of handed them over to the military so people can access them. Hmm. 
Um, one thing a lot of people don't know about the Western United States, um, and this is something that a lot of right-wing cranks go on about, is that the majority of the land in the Western United States is owned by the Bureau of Land Management, which so is sort of this government. bureau that was set up to manage all of the land that was taken from Native American tribes when the United States expanded westward. So it was owned by the federal government. Yeah. Okay. Like the the Clive and Bundy thing where they, they took over the, the Monhur National Park and all that, occupied it, and they're, they're sort of angry about sort of grazing rights, and they say that this land should belong to them. Um, that land is owned by the federal government, and mainly because it was taken from Native American tribes through war. So it's the property of the federal government by treaty. It's it's not like the federal government came in and took these lands. Yeah. Um, from th- from Americans, they they took these lands from Native Americans and non-Americans. Which is arguably worse. Yes, but the but the point is is that a lot of these like right wing cranks like to sort of sort of make this seem like you know it's big government when in actuality it's just sort of the government. Um, taking care of lands that they possessed before these states were even formed. Sure, sure. It's like the government's version of just upkeep, basically, until something better well, comes along to develop. Exactly. Uh, and I think it, the crank people are just these, like, like uh, I'm not even sure the word for it, but they just basically feel like because they were born here, they have, like, birthright access to everything. And then you start going well, the, into the territory of sovereign citizen, and it's just like, Ugh. I love sovereign citizens. Oh my They're God, so great. I, I want an alien to come down to Earth and just immediately, like, buy in hook, line, and sinker to the sovereign citizen movement. Oh, my God. And, like, the federal <laughs> government pulls him over, and he goes, whoa, I'm a I'm sovereign a citizen I'm of Earth. I'm traveling All right. on these roads? You cannot impede my freedom of movement? Like, I got in a little car accident, okay? I'm waiting for the insurance check to clear because <laughs> the the thing about like the Bundys and what their conflict was was that they wanted to graze their cattle on these federal lands that are managed by the Bureau of Land Management, and in order to do that, they have to sort of pay a, a sort of rental fee to to put their cattle on the land. But they think they shouldn't have to pay that. So essentially, they're they're just people who want something for free. Yeah, they're dodging they, taxes essentially. Yeah, they, and the other thing about it is that grazing would ruin like the amount of cattle grazing is good for land but the amount of cattle they wanted to put out to graze would destroy the land yeah grazing's good yeah. to a point yeah it's a it's a moderation thing yeah those guys were fucking assholes but anyway let's let's get back to area 51 yeah let's go a little bit so, south from that bird sanctuary <laughs> the 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 main area there is what's called ne- uh, Nellis Air Force Range um, in 1941, um, this this area was opened. Um, it was established by executive order um, on October 29, 1940, um, by executive order 8578. Um, they they established an airfield there, which was the Las Vegas Army Airfield, because they wanted to use um, McCarran Field in Las Vegas as a military airfield, but they were unable to um, due to the amount of civilian traffic that was there. They weren't able to use it as a primary uh, military airfield because what they wanted to use the area for was for training of B-17, B-24, B-29, and B-40 pilots. Mm-hmm. So these are all bomber aircraft. Mm-hmm. The, the idea is 
and, th and they train thousands of pilots here, is that they do bombing exercises. And because this area is, is out in the middle of nowhere, um, they can bomb fake cities. Um, and, and one of the cities they have there that still sort of exists is actually based on an East German city for sort of training during the, the Cold War, that if World War Three happened, like doing attacks on East Germany to sort of prepare them for that. Um, so they were doing that type of thing during World War Two. So they don't do that um, anymore. Um, they, the areas still exist. Um, sometimes some people will point out on like Google Maps, they'll see these weird sort of designs out in the desert and they'll say like, what is, like, why is this here? Like, what does this mean? And a lot of times what it is, is it's sort of to calibrate satellites. Okay. Um, that when satellites are sort of looking in on an area, they'll have this weird sort of pattern in the desert so that they can focus on it and sort of calibrate their instruments. Okay. Hmm. Do they still have um, that fake city, it, like, all built up in there? Yeah, and if you've ever seen those videos of, like, an atomic bomb going off in a fake city... Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the area where that will happen. Oh, okay. Um, so, so during World War II... The population of this base peaked at 11,000 officers and enlisted personnel, and, and about 4,700 of them were students. Ah, so the... So... Wait, you, know, you didn't say aliens. <laughs> I'm sure How many there was aliens, some. Everybody, Steve? Everybody was doing their part during the war, Steve. I know. They had to, <laughs> they had to get up for our boys. Some of some of them, you know, were, were supporting the the Thule Society, but the some, society? Of those, some of those aliens were on yes. our side. Yes, the Jewel Society. The Jewel, they were vaping? <laughs> yeah, yes, they, they were vaping. But, but at that these, time, these all they aliens had was were blowing sweet thick cotton from Uncle Sam. <laughs> all they had was the sweet cucumber vape. Oh, bro. Uh, due, to, due to rationing, yeah. all they had was cucumber vape. And at the time, men Jesus. only smoked uh, fire and teak. Those were the only vapes they were allowed to use. <laughs> Leather, fire, and teak. I thought charcoal would be one of them in there as well. No, 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 no. That men just chewed charcoal back oh, then. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was too important for the war effort to be relegated to vape. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know it. In in 1947, it became the Las Vegas Air Force Base, and in 1950, it was renamed Nellis Air Force Base, and. In sort of the interwar years, there's it, the military was sort of doing some downsizing. Uh, but when Korea happened and a lot of the stuff that we've talked about before happened, um, they start ratcheting up the military. And in 1950, it's christened Nellis Air Force Base, and it's used for training Korean war pilots. And during the 1950s, it becomes a major um, training facility for Air Force personnel, especially combat Air Force personnel. Nice. Um, it sits on about 7,000 acres. Uh, most of it is undeveloped. Um, Just a lot the, of barren, empty land to do bombing Yeah, let's back on. up a second. 7,000. 7,000 acres. If you, if you look at that map I sent you, which is from that Vox article that I found, um, you can see sort of like how much area the Nevada test range and the sort of area takes up, which we'll talk about. Um, and it takes up most of the southern part of uh, Nevada. Like, like it, it takes up a good chunk of Nevada. That's crazy. My favorite thing is jackass flats. 
Jackass Flats. Area 25, Jackass Flats. That's such a fucking Nevada name, Jackass um, Flats. The I was out Jackass Flats, shot me a jackrabbit. <laughs> jackass Flats. The the United States Geological Survey, they, they named five different locations for the base, which is Nellis Air Force Base, the airfield, the post office, a community college of Southern Nevada campus, and then sort of the census designated a place, which is sort of military housing. Hmm. Um, and the numbers have been going down. If you look at the statistics for the population of the area, they have been ratcheting it back due to modern times. But that also goes to sort of the, the amount of people they need to conduct, you know, military exercises. <clears throat> right. Um, this eventually becomes um, largely composed of what's called the Nevada Test Site. Um, in October 28, 1941, um, they open what's called the the Tonopah um, Bombing Range. Um, and, and sort of this um, this decision, which is any time the government wants to seize land, um, they, they have to sort of go to the court. And this case is called the United States vs. 1,855,720 acres of land. This was in the United States 5th District Court. Oh, I love those. I love those lawsuits with, like, the crazy plaintiffs and defendants. They're ridiculous sometimes. That's an amazing this, name. It's like 8,000 cows versus the United States of America. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> these, these are all sort of cases that are against like properties that the government already owns and this is sort of how since nobody is really controlling them that they stipulate when something is taken from one body to another so this is just sort of them officially stipulating that they get this land on april 30th 1950 um the atomic energy commission uh committee selected the las vegas bombing and gunnery range um, for a nuclear test site on December 12, 1950. Um, so you, you might have seen some pictures or some things talking about how you can go to Las Vegas like in the 50s and watch like a nuclear bomb test. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that's sort of from this period because this was the main area where they were going to test atomic weapons. So this might be an oddball question, but did anyone who went to watch those like I'm not, I know it's not like Chernobyl where they were on like the death bridge. But did anyone who went to watch those tests get any appreciable amount of cancer? If you were if you were in Las Vegas, probably not. If you were there, like watching it, probably. And it, it's one of those things because, like, I, I think I've told you the anecdote before. But when my grandfather fought in the Pacific in World War II, um, when he was being demobilized, they offered him a chance to go to like some atoll in the Pacific and watch an atomic bomb test. And they were they were gonna pay him a lot of money, but he he decided not to because he just wanted to go home. So not not out of an abundance of caution. Because <laughs> um, like back then people didn't know, but it's one of those things too. Like um, John Wayne, he, he oh, filmed yeah. that he filmed John, that movie called the I think it's the Warlord. It's like about, the Conqueror about yeah the Conqueror. Khan. And he was. He was Genghis Khan, and all of that was filmed on a former atomic test site. Yeah, that, and there's even, like multiple. Uh, what is it? Like half the cast got cancer. Like a crazy number of people got but cancer. But they they point that out. But like people have also pointed out, you know, that John Wayne used to smoke like three packs of cigarettes a day. Yeah, but they don't cause cancer. Yeah, I mean, we, come on, Steve. If cigarettes Today's cause cancer, this episode brought to you by Marlboro and Philip Morris. <laughs> 
if <laughs> next, if they cause cancer, gonna... Steve, they would take them off the market immediately. I mean, next that's week what we're going to talk to the hero, Joe Camel. <laughs> uh, going back to Steve's other point, though, it, um, Area Fifty One is like eighty something miles away from Las Vegas, too. So I don't think that anybody in Vegas would have gotten really any sort of appreciable. Yeah, I was I was more talking about people like that went close up or something like that. We'll 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 sort of touch on that at, at a later point. Um. On December 18th, 1950, Nellis Air Force Gunnery and Bombing Range um, is sort of officially um, established. Um, the, the Nevada Proving Grounds, which was one of the main test areas, was a 680-square-mile region. Um, a presidential order during this period also established the Groom Lake Field, which was colloquially known as the Pig Farm which is what will become the Area 51 pig sort of area. Pig farm, pig farm. Why was it called the pig farm? I, I'm not entirely sure. I think because of how little was there. Okay. Um, there is... Because we'll, the, we'll the pigs ate everything. They <laughs> ate all the dead alien bodies for them. <laughs> no, it's like that... It's that snatch quote. Hence the expression, as greedy as a pig. Guy Ritchie, we'll, really good director. Anyway, oh, we'll, we'll so talk good. about a mine that was about four miles from the base. A mine? Yes. Oh. Um, that was that was established before this period. I could have sworn you said a fucking mime. Like he's over Yeah, mime. mime. You know? No, 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 mime. <laughs> this, some, this is like real pre- Marcel Marceau like shit. El Chapo, like prequel to El Chapo. Like his <laughs> grandparents are getting all the escape tunnels ready. This is... Uh, no, Chapo yeah. put a mime... Uh, he hired somebody to be a mime out there to distract from his. It's escape the tunnel. it's the prequel to Joker. It's the mime. It's like that uh, that Lemmy that Lemmy sketch. If you can't do the time, how about some mime? And he just like he like he's, he just got done killing somebody. He's got blood on his hands, and the cop sees him. <laughs> and he just starts doing mime. The cop just shoots him in the chest. It's so funny. Oh man. Anyway. Um. The, the the Tonopah test range, um, the that area I talked about before, the land was, was drawn from public use in 1956, um, and this was mainly due to nuclear um, large-scale nuclear tests that were carried out there um, until nuclear testing was banned. Um, there's there's a number of treaties that happened in the 60s and and up until the 70s where there's sort of um, nuclear test bans um, in the United States. Um, went in on those, so a lot of this large-scale nuclear testing stops. So they were banned on U.S. soil, right? Yeah. Well, they were banned everywhere in the world. That if you were a government, you couldn't have these tests. It wasn't that, like, say, Congress passed a law saying you couldn't do it. It was the United States government, by treaty, agreed that they wouldn't do these tests. Okay. And because the idea oh, is that when you're doing Trump has to pull us out of that treaty just as, so we can show how big our explosions can be. Oh my the, god! <laughs> the idea is, is that when you're doing these these tests, um, just because you're not doing them on like cities, you're still doing damage to sort of the environment. Sure, sure. Um, and this is something we'll touch on later as well. Um, on May fourth, nineteen seventy-eight. Um, so you've you've heard of. Um, sort of the the stealth fighter 
Um, its its designation, which we'll go into, is called Have Blue. And during the testing of this, um, one of these crashed on May 4th, 1978. And when the plane crashed, the, the pilot was able to eject, um, and he was able um, to get away. He, he suffered some serious injuries, but he lived. Um, but it, what they essentially did to the aircraft was they just bulldozed it into the desert when it was damaged. Like, cause it, it crashed. Um, instead of throwing away the wreckage, they just covered it up in the sand. What? Wow. And just so and, we're clear, we're talking about the F-117. Yes. Like the one and this from is, uh, John Travolta in that movie. Uh, Broken Arrow. Broken Arrow. Excellent yeah. movie. By and, John Travolta standards. And this goes into this thing that I mentioned before that they don't have laws here. Because this area doesn't officially exist. And they're drinking and it's claws. Not co- it's not covered under any sort of... Steve, yeah, it's not because it doesn't exist. It's, it's because the claws. amount of alcohol and seltzer water that they are imbibing on this... this I mean, every time, a soldier, every time a pilot gets off of a flight and he, he takes on a claw, it exists a little less. Phasing but, in and out of reality... As we know, the pilot, the pilot Steve, during the mission, he had a camelback on where he was drinking white claws. He had consumed too much white claws, right. crashed Straight into the, the desert, yeah. and then they were able to bulldoze it over because they they did the landmark decision of there ain't no laws when you're drinking claws. Right, he was he was drinking these claws out of his camelback, and he his buddy said, you know, buddy, I, I can take take over here in the plane. He's like, no, no, I got it. I actually fly better when I'm drunk. So this is established case law dating back to like the 60s. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is this is this is deep case law. Legal eagle is all over this. Right. Legal eagle. Um, Love that guy. So, so news news of this crash leaked to the press, and this is sort of the first hint that they were doing these sort of top secret aircraft tests here, and that also that the United States was developing a, a stealth aircraft. On July 11th, 1979, a second Have Blue stealth test craft crashed. And and again, the, the prototype was destroyed and buried under the desert. Amazing. Amazing. On, on October uh, 2001, the Nevada Test and Training Range was officially um, called that. So it was, its name was changed to that. There's a million New Yorkers that are screaming for the sanitation contract to clean that shit up. <laughs> the New York mob well, is dying well, right now. The Italian mob's like, let us clean it up. I think it would have probably well, been, it, been the bananas out there. Well, the, uh, yeah, the, out of Las Vegas. Yep. The, the thing you have to remember about these aircraft, too, is that the material they were made out of is incredibly valuable because the polymers and techniques they're using have never been done before. So say if the Russians were able to get sort of the material that the craft is made out of, they might be able to make their own stealth aircraft. So instead of picking up the wreckage and disposing of it properly, we just say, fuck it, dig a hole, bury it, and hope the Russians don't find it. Yeah, because it's, it's under government property, um, so they can just sort of bulldoze it and just, like, nobody knows anything because people can't go out there and look. God, our government's so fucking stupid. Because, <laughs> like, if you've watched the show The Americans, like, one one whole sort of plot point in one of the seasons is that they're trying to get the formula for the paint for the stealth aircraft. Because uh-huh. it's made out of a special polymer that sort of bounces back um, radar. Uh-huh. Um, and then, so getting to 
Area 51 itself, which is also called Groom Lake and also nicknamed Dreamland, um, is right next to sort of this area, as you can whoa, see whoa, in that whoa, map whoa, whoa. I sent you. Settle down there, Whitley Streber. Anne says that... <laughs> Anne is coming on the podcast tonight. I know she passed, but she'll be on tonight at 11. <laughs> her specter, her wraith, will show up, and I'll let you know when she arrives. So... Area 51 is 83 miles north northwest of Las Vegas. Um, Rachel is the closest town, which has an estimated population of 84 people. Um, 84? Big Rachel. Okay, okay. They, they, they sort of have a cottage. You sound like you're industry. cheering on a bowler. Yeah. Big Rachel with the 84. All right. Well, well done, Rachel. Well done. You're just sort of like like a Australia like an elderly Australian man watching cricket. You're just like, well done, as you sip on your gin, and it's like a good wicket there. Uh, sticky wicket. Uh, I don't know Rachel why has. I don't know why a population of eighty four just cracked me up. Like, <laughs> like does that change, or are they always just like eighty four? Like, if someone has a kid, is that a big thing? Like, yo, go hang the five up out on the sign. I know, right? That would be amazing the, if they had, like, those like, flip nobody, nobody really lives there, and, like, one of... I think the only place you can stay there, there might be another hotel, was the, uh, the Ale Inn. Oh, my the God. Little, <laughs> the Little Ale Inn, which is the sort of, um, UFO-themed hotel-slash-bar um, that's there. And, like, the actual bar itself looks kind of sad, like... Looking at their, uh, of course, the population their, their selection of, 80, it's of an, it's alcohol an, and their, their, their cigarette stand and their. It's in a their town tall, with a population of eighty-four. How jumping do you think that bar is going to be? I don't know. They get a lot of tourists. <laughs> it, alcohol ain't going bad. They got they got Tullamore Dew banners up in the Wikipedia picture. You know they could, they could have something good. Maybe they had some good time when all them kids went to raid there. I mean, they, they I, used to think I used to think Tullamore Dew was like high. I mean, it's good. Let's just get that out there. It, it's good for Irish. Be very whiskey. careful. Be very careful. I'm going to judge you very harshly on what you say next. I used to think it was like incredibly like good whiskey and that it was expensive because I was in high school and I didn't really drink whiskey. And my my friend who's Irish, like, you know, he's American, but you know how Americans are. I'm mm-hmm. Irish. Yeah, I'm Irish. I'm Italian. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. But, uh, <laughs> Fucking, um, he like loved it, and he would tell me about it. But then I, I when I got older, I realized it was only like twenty, thirty bucks. I was like, that's good. So anyway, that's the whole story. Well, so Tullamore Dew is actually it's a very good whiskey, and that's what it's fantastic. What I was told, what I was told, most people that are in Ireland drink. They don't drink Jameson; they drink Tullamore. Yeah, Dew. well, Jameson is Jameson's like uh, like ghetto whiskey. And Jameson's and then, uh, like Jack Daniels. It's like okay. And then Bushmills is Protestant whiskey, so they don't drink that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bushmills. Um, I like Bushmills. It's actually good, but snakes. I but I can't drink it because I might get shot up by the IRA. So, <laughs> which is me. <laughs> All right. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, Tullamore Dew, good stuff. Anyway. Um. So. This Groom Lake facility, it began service in 1942 as the Indian Springs Air Force Auxiliary Field. Um, When you look at pictures of Area 51, you'll see there's like a huge dried out lake bed, which I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, So that makes it perfect for sort of a landing area. 
1955, the CIA established the Groon Lake um, testing facility. Um, and their first area that they established with this was called Project Aquatone, which was the U2 program. Here we I'm, go. I'm, this is where all the cool shit comes in, like the U2. I'm, I'm sure we're all familiar plane. with the, the U2 reconnaissance aircraft. You know, yeah. uh, Francis Gary Powers was shot down over the Soviet Union in one. Yeah. Um, its first flight was on August 1st, 1955, um, and it got introduced into regular service in 1957. Um, the aircraft itself, I, I was not aware of this, was produced from 1955 to 1989, and it's still in use. It is still in use. You could actually, some uh, air shows will still have them, Adam. That's crazy. But they, they, they still use them in, in sort of a military capacity. Like, they'll still use them for reconnaissance. Don't they primarily use drones now, though? They do to a degree. Um, they they also, for instance... It, it sort of comes down to that the um, because the Air Force is a government uh, body, they can't regularly change things without going through like a huge process. And for instance, they still use the B-52 bomber because they can't agree on like what the new bomber should be. And every time they go through the process, um, it sort of gets shot down in development. I get it. The bomber gets shot down. Yeah. You get things. I get it. I, jokes are good. I like them. But, like, if you're posted on a B-52 bomber and you're a navigator, you still have to use a slide rule to do your navigation. Oof. Oh, Fuck that. God. Can you imagine going through high school and, like, learning all it and thinking, oh, man, I'll never have to use that again. Hey, by the way, guys. <laughs> Whoops. That, yeah, if you fly this I, one plane, you're going to need you, it. you got to use a slide I, rule, bro. <laughs> you're sucks. telling me they don't have, like, Android Auto or Apple CarPlay and those things? They didn't have a TI-83? <laughs> so it, it'll look very similar to how it does in Doctor Strangelove. Ah, okay. You know, when, when Slim Pickens is riding the bomb down to the site, yeah. that's exactly what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> in, in 1959, um, they begin what's called Project Oxcart, which is the Lockheed A-12 Blackbird, which eventually... Um, gets gets a redesignation number. It becomes the SR seventy one Blackbird, but this is sort of the precursor to it. SR seventy one Blackbird is so fucking cool. That is the coolest plane. I sort of got. If you if you watch the X Men in, in the nineties, like the way the X Men's like Blackbird looked like is exactly this like craft. And even in X Men First Class, um, their Blackbird is sort of modeled after this Blackbird. That's probably why I liked it so much because I watched a lot of X Men as a kid and I recognize that plane is the blackbird which is which was a, a long-range high altitude mach 3 plus strategic reconnaissance aircraft dude it, it can fly faster than a bullet yeah it's, it's insane dude it's incredible on <laughs> yeah on it can December... outrun a bullet bro <laughs> <laughs> shooting at it it's kind of just like oh, no <laughs> like it's like shooting at the flash <laughs> oh god on, you would bring December. DC into this. You know, we're I talking would. about the X-Men. I'm sorry, movie. Steve. It's like shooting at Quicksilver. Thanks, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, on December 22nd, 1964, it was the first flight of this experimental aircraft. And on January 1966, it was introduced to service. It wouldn't be retired from the Air Force until 1998. And it was retired from NASA in 1999. A total of 32 of these craft were built, 
Um, 12 were lost in accidents with none lost to sort of um, enemy fire. So it was just kind of like pilot error? Pilot error, mechanical error, things like that. Okay. In, on, in, in sort of cross-secting with this, on October 1960, um, Reynolds Electrical and Engineering Company is sort of tasked with beginning construction of what's called Project 51 which is named after what this area is being christened in. Because you'll notice from the map that there's all these different areas in the range, and this is Area 51. Okay. And this will upgrade the base facilities. Um, it'll build 10,000 feet of runway, um, and it will also um, sort of build this thing called the hook um, for, for crosswind landways or landings. And, and they sort of um, put these markings in the dry lake bed so pilots will know which way to go. And because the government is doing more and more of these secret projects here, security is expanded as these secret projects are being carried out. Mm-hmm. Um, after the shooting down of um, Gary Powers, it, they, they begin in October 1962 um, building what's called the, nine, the D-21 Tag Board. Um, the D-21 was this sort of um, missile, uh, drone-type vehicle, um, it's it's not really like a drone is what we'd consider it today. It's almost like a cruise missile. And what and this it was is, this is this is manned, right? No, it's unmanned. Okay, okay, okay. I was gonna say we're throwing a pilot on. Just, I was gonna say they just kind of got lazy and ran out of ideas. Just strap them to a fucking missile and go. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> they're they're not the Japanese. We could save a lot of money if we get rid of all this flight stuff and just strap them on. Guys, we are out of ideas. Gary, you are up, buddy. Sorry. <laughs> you drew the short straw. I need you to strap in. The The idea behind this vehicle is that it is launched from what's called the M21, which is a, a version of uh, this uh, the, the Blackbird. Um, so you'll notice that the original one was the A12. This is the, the M21. So the, the letters go up. Like the SR-71 is the final sort of version the the m21 is a version of the blackbird that would carry this d21 do any one of these letters or numbers have any sort of special actual significance or is it just a designation call sign i believe it's for this it's just a designation call sign because usually with military um sort of numbering and letter schemes it usually involves who's making the item Mm mm-hmm like for instance like the ar and ar-15 is armalite okay and and since this is all being made by lockheed martin um considering it started with an a it's just sort of going through the alphabet as it goes through prototypes okay okay so what this did was it would rest on an aircraft the aircraft would launch this sort of hypersonic or supersonic cruise missile it would take photos in, in sort of reconnaissance fashion it would eventually jettison the photos to be recovered, and then the the craft itself would destroy itself. That's cool as it, shit. How would um, it? Would it just blow up? Like it? It would just. Or would blow it up. like bulldoze itself into the desert? <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the plan, but they they ran into some engineering issues, so they just <laughs> they just went with blowing up. Uh. When they when they proposed that you know like why don't we just have it blow up you know they were aghast and they're like it's like I don't understand we can't get rid of it unless we bulldoze it into the desert how is it going to bulldoze itself into the desert it doesn't make any 
It doesn't make any fucking sense, Jim. These are the brightest minds that work for the government. Just bulldoze it into the desert. Some, oh, just blow it the fuck just, up. Just That's what I did to my ex-wife, and I haven't seen her since. Where they're all... They're all like chain smoking cigarettes in a room. They have a projector showing just slides on this like field. A guy's up there in his like short sleeve white shirt with a black tie, you know, the IBM look. Yeah. Listen, he's trying to explain it to him, and they're just like, doesn't make any fucking sense. It's that decade. It's that decade. Because remember Apollo 13, like the denouement, the pivotal moment in that movie is when the guy comes in the room and he's like, gentlemen, we need to find a way to make this fit into this. And it's like, <laughs> it's like we gotta find a way to fit a round peg in a square hole. Like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, we we can do that. What else? Like, what else is difficult? And like, why is this the hardest thing in the '60s for people? Like, oh, well, we don't know what to do. Just dig dig a well, hole. It's it's the hardest thing for them because it's not like, oh, we need to find a way to fix this. It's we need to find the way for these guys that are in a giant cylindrical coffin. How to jury rig something in there into something that can fix this problem. That's a very morbid way to put it, but it's true. Very morbid. Because you can't, like, you've all you've all been to Cape Canaveral. You've all been in the, you, you've all seen the the capsule or possibly been in one of the mock-ups. Like, there's there's not a lot of room in there. No, it's very tiny. And it, it's also one of those things where you feel like if you started taking out pieces, like you would just like destroy something important. Mm. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So one issue with this, and it probably has to do with the fact that it would blow up at some point, is that there is a, a fatal accident um, when launching from the M21, one of these D21s. So they modify it to fit onto um, a B-52 Stratofortress. And I guess probably the issue was that the the D-21 is moving so fast, because you have to remember this is sort of the same, cr- uh, same craft as the Blackbird. Mm-hmm. So it's probably moving at an insane speed when it launches this craft. How would... Okay, and, now, now, using physics, because I'm not good with that, how would that work? If the Blackbird, let's just say, is going it mock stupid, right? How, do, when the D-21 launches, does it actually go faster as it launches? It would, or does it, would it lose probably, speed? It would probably have to go at a similar speed, or it would probably have to detach from the aircraft and then immediately hit its engines as it detaches. Okay. Which I can also see that becoming an issue, because if it detaches and the the engines go, it it could possibly slam into the aircraft it's detaching from. Mm -hmm. Because because if you look at a picture of it, um, the D-21 rests on the top of the aircraft. Yeah. So, if it launches, there's a good possibility that it's going to fall into the aircraft it's launching from. <laughs> but, in, in 1971, the, the project is discontinued. They tried to do some um, surveillance runs over China. Um, they were somewhat um, un- unproductive. You know, they didn't really get good results, and the majority of them um, sort of malfunctioned and blew up. So, they didn't go with the, uh, the, the design and the program, so they canceled it. Uh, also throughout this period anytime they get an aircraft from sort of um, a a foreign power usually a Warsaw Pact nation uh, MiGs those types of aircraft they would be tested at Area 51 so we're building a case here that there's no aliens it's just a secret military base right It's 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 a secret but not at all secret 
And and one of the things that goes into sort of the Air Force and aliens and like Project Blue Book and a lot of what they talk about is that there, there's sort of this popular theory, which I kind of subscribe to, is that the Air Force just used UFOs as a way to push attention away from their own developments, because when people are too busy thinking about aliens, they're not focused on what the real world things um, that are being developed. Yeah, but that's a shitty way to divert attention because people are still going to be focused directly on where you're trying to develop things. But it's it's a misinformation campaign. And everything that comes out of there is going to get put under a microscope. But the problem, is, of- the problem is, is that nobody can actually get in there to do it. So the conspiracy nuts are the ones who, like, get the most attention. Like, they end up being given the most credence about it, and they're the ones that pay the most attention to it. Yeah, yeah. And then, they- and then since you can't actually get into the, uh, into the base to look at it and see it for yourself, you, all you go off of are the loudest people, and the loudest people are the nuts. So it's, yeah, good, they're- it's good to feed into that. They're easy to discredit. I love feeding into it feeding into the nuts yeah man I, I, I love it oh. just just a feeder you got a feeder fetish <laughs> no feeder because if someone fetish. starts going off on conspiracy theories on that guy who's sitting there and I'm like yeah tell me more and and tell me how they exactly do the hologram so you're like moon. Joe Rogan listening to Eddie Bravo <laughs> Joe I'm telling you Joe I think it's amazing I th- the best one I ever heard was so disrespectful Joe. but it was that 9-11 was a hologram and I was he, like, "What?" <laughs> he is like, he is like, like the Takeshi Six Nine of of conspiracy <laughs> theories. Well, like, there's that, there's that meme of like, like SpongeBob where he's like, "I, I'm out of here," and then the Takeshi Six Nine, like, "I know where he's going." <laughs> like, like that's his a Bravo with like conspiracy theories. Yeah, like, man. I'm like, telling no, you that the cell no. phone signals. That's what it is. That's AIDS. Oh nah, Joe, God. I'm telling you, that's what it is. We've had cell phones since the early 1900s show. Because <laughs> sometimes, well, sometimes you can have them go for long enough that they they kind of come to a realization themselves that they sound absolutely ridiculous. I feel and like the average person, I think to your point, that the average person goes through a, a series of, of uh, questions in their head. And they reach a, a level of uh, incredulity where you're just kind of like, okay... This is bullshit, and I'm not even going to fucking put any more time into it. And I think conspiracy nuts, they do they the opposite. They go that extra step. Yeah, yeah they, keep they do. No, they do the opposite. They they don't... Incredulity just makes them more interested. That's what I'm saying. They keep going at it. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. They, they, they feed on that shit, whereas I'm kind of just like, yeah, this is nonsense. I feed on conspiracy theorists. I, I think they're entertaining. Yeah, I I think they're, they're entertaining to, to a yeah, degree. They, they, yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's kind of what I get at. They're entertaining, but I just I love listening. Like I'll find the conspiracy theorist podcast and just listen to this crazy shit. Alex Jones is like my secret fucking pleasure. He used to be, but he like I, I used to like listening to him when he was on George Norrie, like back no, before yeah. he turned into a fucking lunatic. But yeah, he's he's a complete lunatic, just like piece of shit right now. Oh my god, he's hysterical. Yeah. The globalists. Yeah. The, the globalists. The They're turning the, the freaking frogs gay. The fluoride need, in the water. You need to get the bone broth. By the way, if I could make a solid recommendation on here. Um, Steve, what's the name? <laughs> I'm like asking you for the recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm going to make a solid uh, recommendation. 
Steve, what's uh, the name of that stuff? <laughs> I would say that if you need Brain something force. to listen to after or before our show, uh, Big Money Salvia is the way to go. Big Money oh, Salvia. His, his, Big his Money on, uh, Salvia. His, his number of episodes he's done involving like conspiracy theories and just all of that stuff. Salvia Eric. He was the guy... Do you remember the guy... Uh, that was like gardening on salvia. It was like in the like early two thousands, mid two thousands, and it was it was like one of the first YouTube videos. That was it was like a funny video. I All right, we'll, we'll we'll we'll, it, we'll cover this. We'll cover this it, after it, this. It, we'll cover this in a future episode. He says he's gonna do things, and then he smokes salvia, and then he just sort of passes out. Perfect, excellent. That's 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 the salvia experience. Yep. Back. Back to the secret machinations of our government. Cease um, <laughs> investigations. Salvia um, was developed by the CIA. Oh, go. The, on December 1st, 1977, um, Lockheed begins its Hab Blue program, which is the development of the F 117 Nighthawk. Um, this is the first in earnest stealth fighter program. Um, the United States government had sort of accidentally come across stealth um, technology. Um, and sort of tel- stealth tech, um, techniques. Um, I wouldn't exactly call it um, like like technology because when you call it technology, it sort of makes it seem like it's like a cloaking device from Star Trek. So th- you're going to tell me that the government that buried uh, secret test plane wreckages in the desert and strap basically strap pilots to fucking runaway missiles to test shit didn't intentionally come up with stealth technology well they did no. not it was not essentially what happened was in during world war ii in germany um there were these aircraft designer called the horton brothers i'm incredulous by right now that, that we and didn't the, invent this that we kind of stumbled the, upon the horton brothers were sort of experimenting with sort of crazy aircraft designs that were sort of non-conventional and one of them they developed was sort of the flying wing um i'm sure you've heard of like the ho9 the the horton um, nine, which is sort of a, a jet aircraft they developed. It was a flying wing. Um, it, it, it's one of those things that like Wearaboos like to point out, you know, about the superiority of like German science. Mm-hmm. Um, but this thing, it, it was a jet aircraft in name only um, because the the aircraft itself would like catch fire if it went above like a certain speed. Good <laughs> But but one thing that they discovered during the test was that. Um, the flying wing design um, doesn't really have a strong sort of radar signature. Okay, so they kind of asked backwards into it. So they asked, they asked backwards. Uh, sort of a side effect of this design was that it, it, it's sort of a predecessor to what becomes the Nighthawk. And, and sort of also, too, with like the stealth bomber. The stealth bomber looks very much like the HO-9. And the, the Nighthawk, which is very similar... Um, it has a very low profile, sort of has that sweeping wing design. Um, and this, this program began in 1977. Um, the first flight is in 1981, and it was publicly revealed in 1988. Um, which is kind of interesting, too, because if you look at all the UFO sightings of sort of the triangle UFOs, um, they, they sort of match up with sort of the testing period of these aircraft. Mm-hmm. How closely do they match up? I... That, that's one of those things because we don't have what the test schedules were, but it's one of those things that people talk about, you know, like, oh, I saw this craft in the sky, and it was like a triangle, and I had these lights on it. 
and it's like aircraft aren't triangles and like well the military is developing an aircraft that has a a secret aircraft that has a that looks like a triangle in the night sky which makes perfect sense though, which even though the nighthawk has those swept back wings if you're looking at it at the dead of night um, it probably just looks like a triangle. You're, you're not going to see the empty space between those sort of wings and the, the back fuselage. Right. I mean, you can get an undershot look at the plane. Uh, if you go to the Area 51 Wikipedia page, they have an underbelly shot of the F-117. And, I mean, it's yeah. essentially a perfect arrowhead. It looks yeah. like a perfect arrowhead. And at night, there's no way you would be able to tell that that's anything but a perfect triangle. And... In 1990, the last F-117 is delivered by Lockheed, um, and and only one of them's been shot down. It was by um, by Yugoslavia, or I should say, by Serbia in Yugoslavia. Um, and that happened in 1999. Um, and in 2008, they were sort of retired to be pre- uh, replaced by the F-22 Raptor, um, which is a stealth aircraft. Is that the one that you can't even see it? <laughs> Yeah, those are those are the invisible planes that, you know, it's it's very much like uh, Wonder Woman's invisible plane. Oh my God! They they've got the best planes. I'm I'm told by the Thermasian ambassador that these are the best planes. I mean, stealth means you can't see it, right? That's all. That's all I want to know. Yeah. My money's going they towards a plane even, I can't see. They can't right? even see these planes. They they just they just roll up on you. <laughs> <laughs> the SR seventy one drive by. <laughs> OG motherfuckers, as they're also called. <laughs> the oh OG, mo- the SR seventy one OG motherfucker. How ridiculous would that be if, like, you're if you're a pilot and you run out of ammo and you just start just just strafing the ground, but you just pop the canopy off and you just pull out your pistol and just start shooting at the ground. <laughs> Easy, easy there. What are you uh, talking about? That's like Colonel the last Rickenbacker. Course. That's the last course you take when you're in the Air Force. You have to. Yeah, it's called. You're air. all trained to do this. Yeah, it's air, the it's 360 called. no scope. It's it's gonna be in the next Top Gun movie. Is that at one it's point also be Tom Cruise is gonna have to? He was in Battlefield Four, I think. He's gonna he's gonna do that maneuver from that video where he he ejects from the aircraft. He shoots at the other pilot, and then he falls back into the <laughs> aircraft, restarts it, flies off. <laughs> um, one of the things, too, that, that hasn't really been confirmed, and this is sort of a, a theory I've had for a while, is that when you look at those, like, growing up watching, like, Discovery Channel, and it, it wasn't so much on the History Channel back then, but they'd have those sort of sort of documentary like shows talking about like ufos in area 51 and they would show like the lights in the night sky and people say like aircraft don't move like that and one of my theories is that that those were drones because not like early not like a, drones like early drones and not like a predator drone which we've which have been like publicly revealed but more like a helicopter drone because you see the way they move around they they're able to sort of move and do like hairpin turns that you couldn't do with a human pilot, but you could probably do with like a helicopter drone. Well, so let's let's do this real quick. Just yes or no, do you guys believe in like UFOs and aliens? Well, simple. Like, well, simple I, yes no. you just asked got, two different questions. I've got well, one I have. Well, I have if you one believe segment. in one, you're going to believe in the other. You have to. I have. I have. No, one, I don't think they're connected. 
guys, let's let's table that because I have one section and then okay. we'll talk about Bob Lazar. Okay. Okay. I think Ryan's got a good question. I think we really should address that. But let, yeah, let's let's keep. Well, going. Yes, know, but the reason. We're, okay. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get into it with Bob Lazar. But the reason this is this is more for the the overhanded nature of our federal government at times. Okay. And and especially okay. the military who gets like flated by the public more than they should be. Right. Um. So. Uh, right by Groom Lake, there's what's called Groom Mine, which they they mainly mine silver chloride. Excuse me. It was it was active until 1954 and is three miles from Area 51. And what they what did they mine there again? Silver chloride. Silver chloride. Okay. So uh, essentially, silver is what yeah. they're mining. Yeah. Um, habitation began at the mine in 1866 and a patent was issued for the mine in 1872 and the Sheahan family um, acquired the property in 1885 which they still kind of own it to today which we'll get to um, in the mid-1910s the mine produced about $250,000 in silver but became temporarily inactive due to the closing of the local Las Vegas and Tonopah Railroad um, because this area is so remote, once the local railroad um, shut down, they weren't able to sort of get people out there. Um, in 1941, um, surveyors visited and stayed with the Sheehan family to survey the area for the construction of a gunnery and bombing range, which we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so the government sent people out there. They stayed with this family. Um, the family welcomed them into the house, you know, because it's like, you know, it's. Uh, I don't think the war had started yet. This is probably before December. But they're like, yeah, you know, they're, they're government people. You know, we're going to show them um, some kindness because they've also, in interviews, they've said that if they didn't help these um, these government surveyors, um, they probably would have died because they these these guys who were sent from elsewhere didn't really have an idea of what they were getting into. Okay. Um, in 1942, a mill was constructed, and by 1951, four people are living at the mine. In 1951, the Atomic Energy Commission um, informed the Sheehan family of the planned detonations and set up instrumentations at the mine. So they tell them, you know, we're going to be setting off some atomic bombs, and they set up some instruments there. (laughs) NBD. Um, NBD. um, A U.S. Public Health Service technician stayed with them to monitor the radiation. (laughs) Don't worry, we got... We got Jimmy the intern is going to stay with He's you. just in the fucking living room and he's like, <laughs> looks just like he's sweating and he just goes, and he's just sitting there and nobody's saying anything. And then all of a sudden Jimmy just goes, Jesus Christ. And they're like, what, what was it? And he's just, no, it's, not, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. Go, go back to what you were doing. He's, he's like wearing the OG, like the original Iron Man suit, but it's made out of lead. <laughs> <laughs> that like, that like original, like should metal we, Iron Man suit Should we have one made. of the suits? Should we? <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's fine. <laughs> in, in, in 1952, um, during what's called the Tumblr uh, Snapper Easy Test, there's a bunch of these tests. Um, the family. Well, first of all, I've I've I'm familiar with the Tumblr Snapper Easy Test. Oh my test. god! Here we go. <laughs> the, there the, we go. Which it took us 58 minutes to get to that. Okay. Which which you know I just wanna I just wanna point out that they sort of um, fucked up. Because it could have very easily been the Tumblr Easy Snapper test. That's true. And it could have been the test test. Then it would have been. Uh, Uh, (laughs) And during during this test, the family is actually evacuated because of how close they are. 
Um, the home is damaged. The front door is sort of blown out by the by the blast from the explosion. Mm-hmm. Radiation at the mine reaches 0.19 Rodigan per hour, which is um, which is about 1.9 uh, milliserviet millis- per hour. Microsieverts. Um, which is yeah, which is um, almost the equivalent of a CT scan or a natural or the natural radiation you're exposed to in a year. Um, so while you know that may not seem like a large amount, um, that's that's the amount you'd get in a year in one hour. And keep yeah, in so mind, not, not bad, not terrible. Right, and keep but, in mind you can't give radiation back. Yeah, the the highest radiation recorded from a test, the Fox test in this series, was point three nine uh, point three two uh, Rodkin, which is three point two uh, uh, milli serviette per hour in in may or, or is it sievert micro sievert yeah yeah micro sievert um in may so um, the what, atomic what, what does that translate to um in normal people speak and that's about minutes. that's that's about um almost almost twice the amount of radiation you'd be getting in a year there isn't really like a close benchmark but that would be like almost twice the radiation you get in a year in one hour. Wow. Um, the Atomic Energy Commission claimed that the nuclear detonations had not subjected groomed mine personnel to any real danger from fallout. In July of 1952, Martha Sheehan, who had been exposed to fallout in the previous test, was diagnosed with cancer. Um, the Sheehan family attempted to sell the mine to the Atomic Energy Commission, but they instead give the family $1,100 in damages because they don't want to create a legal precedent for this by buying the mine from them. Um, because the, the the stance of the Atomic Energy Commission is like sort of the unspoken stance is they don't want to buy the land from the family because in, in the future, if they do more tests, they could have other sort of like ranchers and claim owners like trying to sell their land to the government. That's still shady as fuck, though. It is. It's still shady, but you can sort of understand where they're coming from. I can understand it, but it doesn't this make is, it any less shady. This is where this is where you come to where you can't really, you know, understand where the government was coming for. Um, in 1953, uh, the mine is strafed by the U.S. Air Force, and um, during during sort of like um, tests, because that's also where the the main sort of combat testing range is, and a bomb destroyed the mill. Um, in, in 1953 as well so so an aircraft did like a bombing run on the mine it destroyed their mill which essentially like took away their ability to do operations and in 1954 the buildings were strafed but let me guess um, this wasn't on purpose though like this wasn't they didn't target them of course it was, not it was it was allegedly of you know like an not. accident they wouldn't target them right um, and and after that the the mine is shut down oh hmm. um in, in 1956, um, the Sheehan family attempted to sue the Atomic Energy Commission, um, but it withdrew this lawsuit in 1959 when they ran out of funds. So, so the they just let them just sue them forever. The government decided, we're not going to do anything about it. We're just going to let them run out of money. We're just going to railroad them. Yeah. Wow. In 1984, the U.S. Air Force seized the lands around Groom Mine due to its proximity to Area 51. Um, so, so they essentially declared eminent domain, and they they took this land. Um, 
Some family members were issued security clearances so they could get to the property, so they could get through security. Um, it is now um, inaccessible, um, though um, some of them, um, as I say before, could gain access. Um, a lot of that has sort of stopped due to recent developments. Hmm. In 2014, 2015... Whoa, um, that's, that's four years ago. Yeah, the, the Department of Defense attempted to purchase the property um, at one point in August 2015 for $5.2 million, but the family rejected the offers. Um, God damn. The, Fucking the why? Well, the, the government claims that the family is a safety and security risk, though they've never released any details about the base or its tests. Um, and, and one of the reasons why the family won't accept this is because they claim the mine is worth more than $5.2 million. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that makes, actually, um, that makes more in sense. In September 2015... Uh, time out real quick, though. The problem with this with, with this family is the government, if it really wants to, can just go in there and be like, yo, we're taking your shit and there's nothing you're well, going to do now because we're we'll, going to claim we'll, evidence. We'll get to that. Um. In September 2015, the commander of the Nevada Test and Training Range claims that the family and mine caused them tremendous expense due to canceling missions when they came out. So so what the base is claiming is that they can't do their normal missions when the family visits the property. Um, soon after, the property is condemned under eminent domain and given to the U.S. government by a court order signed by Federal Judge Miranda Dew. Boom. Knew it was going to happen. You hate to see it happen. Um, it's unknown because when you do take something through eminent domain, the government does have to pay. Um, it's unknown what the compensation for the mine was um, due to the different estimates. Guarantee um, it 20, wasn't $5 million. Well, in, in 2015, the U.S. Air Force said it was worth $1.5 million and offered um, $5.2 million due to the operational costs. In 2016, the U.S. Air Force estimated it was between $1 and $3 million. Um, the Sheehan's um, legal counsel claims it's worth over $100 million. <laughs> what the fuck? That's like that what? building in downtown Orlando that they, my, were trying my, to, they were trying to sell in that church or whatever. Who is their legal counsel? Like a five-year-old making prices at the airport? Like, well, what is banana you have worth to remember, $5? Dollars? Like, what this, this, is a mostly, <laughs> this is a mostly untapped silver mine. And, and at its height, it was making $250,000. Per what? Um, and this is also, I didn't see if that was um, corrected, if that was what it is today or what it was back then. But if it was making $250,000, um, uh, like around the time of World War One, then it probably is like worth that amount. Yeah, but it's making $250,000 what? Like a year, a day? what? A, a year. Yeah, but mine's deplete. That's not they, a continuous they, source, though. They do, but if it's a rich vein, um, they they could possibly get that. I, I think I, I kind of agree that they probably should have just hedged their bets, despite sort of the family. I'm gonna tell you right um, now, the government comes with a government. check for five point two million bitch, You can have all this, whatever the fuck. I, I you want. think you know what I would say. I'd be it. like five point two million, but I don't want to pay any taxes on the money because they can make that happen. Ooh, yeah, and, good say, and, yeah. And in 2017, the family claims that they were forced to leave millions in property, including heirlooms. Um, one of these, which I kind of think was sort of a dick, a dick move, was that um, uh, allegedly an antique anvil was reported missing from the property when they did a review in 2015. 
and I just want to imagine that the the head of like the the at Area Fifty One, like he just has like a like an antique like sort of like Acme Anvil in his like <laughs> office. Why'd you just say it like you're from New Jersey? I'm gonna go down to the Acme and get me some butter rolls. Acme. Acme. <laughs> yeah, but I know you said it fine now, but you just said it like you were from the Acme. Like, I'm gonna go down the path, Mark, because I don't like the f- people who work at the Acme. <laughs> you know those types. <laughs> you Why know shop at public. the Irish. I'm just, I'm just imagining a guy with like an anvil in his office, and he has one of those like circular glass like tabletops resting on top of it. Oh, Dude, that'd be badass though. That'd be great anvil. for a man cave. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. that particular anvil, but yeah, like in general, that's a badass idea, though. Fuck yeah. Um, we'll get <laughs> now. We're to the man, the legend, Bob Lazar. Bob fucking Lazar. Fucking Let's... Chevy Lazar. And I want to, I want to note first off that Bob Lazar technically did not work at Area Fifty One. He claims to Whoa. work at S Four. S4 is another facility that is distinct from Area 51. It is under Papoose Lake as opposed to Groom Lake. Papoose, another rapper. Um, yeah, so he's not... He, 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 no, he, now, he never claimed to work at Area 51, did he? He, he claimed to work at this S4 facility. Okay, yeah, but he never actually claimed to be in Area 51. He claimed to be at this facility that was like 10 miles south of Fairy Yeah, Area it's, you can see it on the map. Um, and it's kind of interesting, too, because there's sort of been this resurgence with him because Jeremy Corbell, who's this sort of um, entrepreneur slash documentarian, is really big into making like UFO documentaries. And he he made the documentary about the Skinwalker Ranch, and he recently made one that's on Netflix that is about Bob Lazar, which which I'll sort of talk about at the end of this. But he's he's sort of pushing, you know, that Bob Lazar is right. But if you look at like Google Maps, the the sort of mountain area around Papoose Lake does not sort of reveal anything that lends credence to his to his claims. To his claims, mm-hmm. but he yeah. definitely no, he definitely worked. There. I don't. Well, we'll we'll get to that after this is done. And I, there's a number of things he says. And a number of things in his story that doesn't really add up to me, especially as someone who's worked for um, state government. I, I know it's not the same as federal government, but there's just some things in his his story that don't really add up. He okay. also did an interview with Joe Rogan this year, too. Yes, which is in relation to the Netflix documentary. It's actually yeah. one of his uh, better interviews, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Every now and then, he, Rogan hits upon a good interview. He yeah. is a good interviewer, but every now and then, he just knocks it out of the park with a good interview. Yeah, he does it every once in a while. So, in May 1989, um, Bob Lazar is interviewed by George Knapp. George Knapp, is, he, he's been on Coast to Coast. He's also known as Daddy. Yes. He's, Daddy. He's, um, <laughs> Daddy Knapp. He is originally a TV guy. He's actually won Peabody Awards. Yep. Um He's from KLAS, a Las Vegas TV station. Originally, when he interviewed Bob Lazar, Bob Lazar um, appeared with his face hidden and under the pseudonym Dennis. Um, He would appear unmasked um, under his own name in November in two following interviews. Um, Lazar, during these interviews, he claims he worked at a hidden underground base under Papoose Lake, which is a small, dry lake bed that's near Groom Lake. Hmm. 
Um, he claimed that the nearby mountainside concealed hangars, um, that the mountainside would sort of um, sort of retract, and it would sort of reveal um, these um, hangars. And at one point, he says he witnessed one of these UFOs that he would reverse engineer sort of in this hangar. Um, his main job, he claims, which he also claims he was a um, sort of a, a team leader, you know, that he was like a lead researcher on sort of this reverse engineering this flying saucer, even though nobody worked under him. And it doesn't sound like he worked with anybody. Hmm. Um, he said that the the flying saucer was made of a substance that he said looked like stained with steel. Um, he said that in the sort of hangar, he was shown all these different models, but the one that he worked on was what he referred to as the sports model, which was a saucer-shaped craft. Um, he says... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did I also have the sedan? <laughs> yeah, the Chevrolet UFO well, the, Sports the, the sedan was probably the top hat one, and he claims there was one that had been like, it looked like it had been ripped open, and his theory was that they were testing munitions on it. Oh, not not that it was a convertible? Yeah, not, not that it was a convertible <laughs> or a hatchback. <laughs> and And the thing is, too, is that he claims that the people who were bef- there before him that he was replacing, that what they were doing is is that they had decided on one of these craft that they were going to see how the reactor on the craft worked while it was functioning, and they would do this by breaching the reactor on the craft, which caused what he claimed was the yield of an atomic bomb going off, and it, it killed them. Um, but the thing about that is, is that if atomic bomb had gone off underground out here, like people would know about it. It's like the North Korean nuclear test. Like if this, if this had happened, you know, the Soviet Union would be in the United Nations going on about how the United States had violated the nuclear test ban treaties by, right. by testing a nuclear weapon underground. Right. Which is, which is one of the points in his story that I don't really think. And also too, when he talks about his stories. He, he has one story, you know, where he's like, he's on the bus heading back to Las Vegas or the airport or wherever, and he sees what's called the Aurora, which is sort of this aircraft that popped up in sort of early conspiracy theory. It's sort of supposed to be the successor to the Blackbird. And mm-hmm. he says, like, he, he sees this craft and he asks his supervisor, like, oh, what's that supposed to be? And his supervisor tells him exactly what it is. And it's like if you're if you're at a, a top secret thing that's like incredibly compartmentalized, like the people above you aren't going to be like, oh, that's such and such. That's that other program you're not involved in. They're that's the tell Toyota you, like, Corolla, a secret yeah. project. <laughs> you're on the sport. That's, that's the that's, that's the convertible. Okay, what's that special S of, It kind of looks like a small car. Well. You see, the thing is, is you can fling any teenager at this car, and it will last. You see, Bob, the big thing here is, is that we're here to win J.D. Power and Associates. <laughs> oh, every fucking commercial, just for every fucking car ever. This car, did you, did you, did you fucking assholes know that the Chevy Malibu is the winner of thirty-seven J.D. Power and Associates awards? Did How you many know that? fucking J.D. Power and Associates awards are there? Like, at there some point, are they just only thirty-seven, and they were all won by the Chevy Lumina. Jesus Christ. My, my thing about Bob Lazar and why I say he's full of shit. Other than other Tell things, us how you feel. it's because he he goes on about like 
he is in a very compartmentalized program where if, if usually when you're working on a government thing, like people don't know what they're working on. Like they're like, this is, you're working on this thing. You don't know what it's going in, but you're, you're working on the specific thing and you have to make it work. Well, yeah, everything's broken his, down to his credit, smaller things. To his credit, he, he says that, he quantifies that in the Rogan interview, at least, but not, but, not to the level you are. But before that, he just goes on about how, like, oh, yeah, during the briefing, they told me that humanity has, you know, been, been influenced by the Greys, who are from Zeta Reticuli, for, <laughs> for thousands of years, since, since the beginning of recorded history, and that the human genome has been manipulated about 63 times, and I heard this one story about how there was a meeting with the Greys, and there was a room they were supposed to go into, but the Greys wouldn't let them go into the room because the the ammunition and the weapons they had would detonate in this room due to whatever alien bullshit they had in there. And the guards refused to go in without their weapons, and so the aliens, like, killed them all. Like, uh... like these are the stories he's just saying, and it's like... like why are like why are people at this top secret research facility that no one tell tells you about are like telling you all these details unless they're expecting it to be some like Bill Murray like no one's gonna believe you? Yeah, and the thing with Bob Lazar is he's not like Stephen Hawking. You know, he he sells himself like he's some kind of uh, maverick engineer or something well, like that. Well, he he has he claims he has degrees from MIT and Caltech. So do a lot of people. But no one, no one at Caltech or MIT knows who he is. No faculty members who are at the oh, university. Oh, is that provable? That like that people yeah. have said that. Wow, that's yeah, crazy. No, no faculty members know who he is. What's his explanation for that? Did Rogan not? Because that's like a question that like someone like Rogan would ask him, like right to his face. No, Rogan would just glaze over that. Yeah, he would just cruise right by. Rogan, it, I'll say word. Rogan, <laughs> Rogan the NPR of bro interviews. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Mr. Hitler. Listen, it was a pleasure talking listen, to you. If there's even the slightest bit of controversy, Rogan's just gonna fucking blow right by that shit. He ain't trying to have that. He's trying to have a smooth conversation. He's not trying which, to Which like where like where did the road go? I think they brought this up too, and I've heard this in multiple places, is that another like, excellent at multi- podcast by the at way. multiple points, and they're they're also believers, they're not skeptics. Is that at multiple times, you know, like, no one can prove that he was there. There are no records of him being there. No no faculty, no alumni who were at the university. Of course, he time. was in that deep. No one, and, the, and his ex- explanation is, is that the government, like, cleared it all up. Of course. He was in which, that deep. Of course they cleaned it all up. Which there are, there are records of, of his educational background. Um, he did take some courses in physics. Um, at a community college, and he and at the time of the interviews in the eighties, wait, 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 back up, back up, back up, hold on. What does that mean at a community college? It, it means that he <laughs> that there are that there are sort of records of him taking classes in physics at a community college. Okay, okay. It just sounded like you were kind of he didn't take it at a university. He took it. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that his educational background. He claims, you know, that he has like a PhD. It's like it's like from, he's Dom Massetti. He went. I went to MIT 
IT tech. I went to ITT tech. <laughs> he went to he went to upstairs Harvard, uh, up, upstairs MIT uh, physics school. I went to ITT tech, MITT tech. No, I went um, to uh, I went to Harvard State. <laughs> And I'm not I'm not going to besmirch anyone or talk down on someone getting a degree from a community college. Any degree fa- is a good degree. Yeah, but the fact that he's claiming, you know, that he has these degrees from these prestigious universities and that he was like a leading mind in the field of physics when like no one has heard of him and no one knows who he is in these areas. Yeah, that's I've a little bit of egregious. Him, Steve. That's enough. Um and and so back to back to his claims. Um, he said that these vehicles are powered by um, and in the interview which I posted, which has like Greek subtitles, it's the original like 1989 interview. Um, he claims that the the craft are powered by element 115, which at that point had not been discovered. I believe at that point he also points out that element 112 was the closest element they had at that point. So at that time, he claimed it was element 115, even though 115 wasn't around. But now we know that element 115 does exist. Yes. Element 115 was um, synthesized in 2003. Um, But um, it's called um, Muscovium. Now, was – what – okay – is there and, any truth to this, or was he just shooting in the dark and just happened to well, come the, up right? The thing about the isotope is, is that no stable isotopes of this element exist. Okay. Um, a lot of these high up elements, um, when you get to the periodic table above a hundred, a lot of these elements either only exist for a short period of time, right. or um, they don't really exist for anything more than what Matt, like even seconds. Like they can, they can sort of synthesize these elements in a lab. They can manipulate molecules, but they fall apart quickly. And and Muscovium is one of them. Bob Lazar claims he he sort of hints at. He doesn't outwardly claim, which is one of the things Bob Lazar loves to do, is he sort of hints at things. And he claims that he sort of stole one of the uh, like a vial of this element. Oh Jesus Christ! So then, and why then, isn't he dead somewhere? Because if you it, steal exactly, something like that. Like, Government's going to be on your ass. And and a lot of the stuff I said that he claims about the gray aliens, he claims that this was also told to him during his like training and that people were um, were telling him this. Which, like I said, like you do not need to be telling the guy who's working on the engine for the flying saucer, like the like the Wikipedia article <laughs> on the gray aliens. Like he does not need to know no. that many details about them. Yeah, no. why like, would they, it is yeah, not important exactly. at all. And you telling this guy these things is like a big like security breach. Yeah. And like I know people whose parents like like a friend of mine, his dad was like on the team that created Stingray. Mm-hmm. That 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 sort of system that the police use to intercept cell phone signals. Yeah. Like yeah. he created that, he worked yeah. on Harp, and Ugh. like when you when you work on these things, like you don't know what you're working on. Right. It, it's like being a voice actor. Like they they tell you like this is your job, this is your project. You're Here, gonna say these hundred lines and then get yeah, out. Yeah. Say yeah. Do these you things have no and then you're done. You have no context. You're just okay. Yeah. Um. He. He also describes, which is one of the things that gets pointed out in the Netflix documentary, is he describes biometric scanning and key cards being used. But even though they were uncommon in the 80s, 
Um, Keycard entry started appearing in the early 80s, and biometric access was also possible during that time period. So what he's saying, while not verified, is not theoretically impossible. Or is not impossible. It is theoretically possible. What he's essentially saying is that, like, these advanced sort of security procedures existed, but he's saying things that had existed in sort of um, popular culture and had existed um, sort of in the, like, the zetgeist at that time. So mm-hmm. for him claiming things like that existed um, is not something, you know, that somebody would be like, who's ever heard of a thing? Someone using their handprint to access a room? Okay. Like, okay. like who's ever heard of that? Or using a key card? Okay. Um, so that's, that's a lot of what goes into it. Um, and he's, he, he currently runs, um, he, he currently runs a, a business that sells, um, chemical and nuclear supplies, which is one of the things that has gotten him in trouble with, with the government, um, post 9-11, which he sort of plays up as sort of the government just sort of harassing him to get back element 115. Um, because in the interview, he claims that, like, in 89 that they like tried to run him off the road and kill him and that's like why he came out and talked um and he claims that these things but these types of things normally happen and it's something that happens like at dispensaries and stuff like that where the government will just be like all right we're setting in the SWAT team to like raid your establishment yeah and you know like like dispensaries have all of their materials ready so that like when the police or whoever raids them that they can show them you know that everything's above board and get it over with as quickly as possible um the same goes for a business that's selling nuclear and sort of volatile chemicals that could be used for making a bomb or other things Mm -hmm. yeah they have an msds and they just hand it to them (laughs) and and bob lazar is sort of like road um rode this sort of grift train up until today um he had been largely discredited um i I think this they stopped letting him on like coast to coast am and a lot of those shows because they just gotten tired of his bullshit um but jeremy corbell has sort of um latched on to him and is promoting him and the thesis if you've not seen it of the bob lazar documentary is that you kind of have to believe bob lazar because he's bob lazar (laughs) <laughs> um, i don't know you bro i want evidence i want hard he, evidence. he's also gotten some trouble too like in 1990 um he was involved in a legal case because he was operating as it sounds like a pimp for a brothel what he was in, a, what <laughs> but i deal drugs black dynamite wait but i thought he yeah. took physics at his local community college why is he a pimp <laughs> He, like, he claims that he was helping out some young ladies and that they were operating a brothel out of an apartment or something. And at this court case, which is brought up during the, the Bob Lazar documentary... Did he, was the brothel called them. Area 69? <laughs> it should have been. That was that was a marketing coup. Good job, they, Steve. Somebody missed that one. If they didn't take it, we're trademarking it. Area 69. Call up, I think we're going to have to rename the, bunny, the podcast. Call up the Bunny Ranch. <laughs> Um, during this, during like his, his deposition or whatever in court, he says, he claims, you know, that he has his degrees from MIT and Caltech, which is one of the things like his supporters will hold up. Like, well, he said these under oath, so he's obviously telling the truth. Yep. And, and it also goes to like, cause that matters in a, in a, in a criminal case like Dude, that. Dude, if in you swear on a Bible and you, and you swear an oath 
and you lie, you'll burst into flames. I've seen. Oh it. man, yeah, that's and, that's that's law. In a, in a criminal case in 1990, you're not going to be um, you're you're not going to be looking up the college transcripts of a guy who is very obviously guilty, and it's like a, a closed and shut case to see like to, to sort of split hairs about whether or not he went to MIT or Caltech. Right. Um, so Bob Lazar claims these things. Um, he, he claims, you know, that they've been reverse engineering these, these greys, um, alien spacecraft there. Um, and, and that's, that's pretty much what he's, he's stuck with. That's been his, his gravy train other than his nuclear supply company. Up until today, he still will say this, as we can see by the Rogan interview back in June. And one of the things, too, that people say, like, oh, well, he, said, he tells the same story every time or whatever. He doesn't change. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean anything because if you've if you've practiced it enough times and you've, like, it's sort of that thing of, like, living the lie. Yep. And it's, it's like one of the, like, people who say, like, I'm going to pretend to be, like, this terrible person as, like, an act. It's the like Costanza method. And, like, if you do that long enough... You eventually it becomes, turn into it, yeah. Yeah, it eventually becomes your your normal baseline. Remember, Jerry, just... it's not a lie if you believe it. Yeah. <laughs> George George Costanza's where well of the fact that we live in a society. <laughs> we live in a society. Uh, uh, so that's Area fifty one. Well, we, we do have one more thing. Well you know what's okay. funny about all the stuff with Bob Lazar too, and you always forget to mention it, is that that's the reason Brian Williams was taken off the nightly news because he said he was there and Bob Lazar said he was. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was there when those guys cut it to that reactor core of that UFO. Uh, that's the good evening, saucer. America. <laughs> um, so he was that, he's the, he was the one that was actually doing the cutting. Apparently, is what he said. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was the guy there with like the the circular saw cutting into. Yeah, the you outer couldn't tell because he had this. the big hood on. He had the big hood. You didn't see it was him, but it was him. He was totally him. He Fuck. he was in the Iron Man suit, the, the OG Iron Man suit, cutting into this. Uh... <laughs> so there's um, one more thing. Well, about yeah, the, the, I don't know if you guys want to talk about do we believe in aliens and UFOs? Absolutely. Yes, let's talk about. So this to real finish quick. my thought from before, I'm just insert myself here. I think that I used to believe UFOs and aliens were the same thing, but they're just not. Like, they're just not the same thing. I, it, a UFO is, is anything that you don't recognize. An alien is something you think a UFO is. You see what I'm okay. saying? Okay. Listen. If you believe in aliens, you have to believe in UFOs because UFOs true. are the transport vessels for aliens. I'm aware that an alien and a UFO are not the same thing. What I'm saying is if you believe in one, you have to believe in the other. Well, I think what you said makes perfect sense. You have to believe in UFOs if you believe in aliens. But you can believe that there are unidentified flying objects and not necessarily aliens. That's yeah, what I'm I'll buy that. Yeah, I'll yeah, buy that. that you that's can believe all, in UFOs, I, that's all but I'm really getting at. So you believe in like UFOs, but not aliens. I believe that there are UFOs. I think it's the same thing with a lot of topics, which you know we won't go down that road for our podcast. But um, it's the same thing with a lot of topics where I believe that there's a possibility, but we don't have evidence. Like I'm largely agnostic. My 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 thoughts are sort of the same. I I, th- I think that most like UFO sightings are, are sort of just 
natural phenomenon or, or other sort of things that we're not really that knowledgeable of and when it happens like people freak out or instruments don't properly um, show it um, and that's that's sort of where I stand on it and I think that um, if if aliens do exist I don't think they're like creatures from another world per se I think it's more of like the John Keel like ultra terrestrial theory that they're more sort of beings from maybe like another dimension or something like that okay. and that's not something that I like generally like believe that i'm like adamant about but i would have to say of all the theories i've heard of what they may or may not be um that's that's sort of the one that i think makes the most sense as opposed to you know people who are coming like thousands of light years to just like pro like gang pro people to like cut up cows because like the thing too like cattle cattle mutilations are easily explainable um all, all that stuff is easily explainable um, when you when you get down to it and you actually examine it with experts, what about you, Ryan? Um, so I, I I don't think there's really any strong evidence for that type of thing. First of all, I feel like we're all forgetting that as of I want to say a month ago, the the U.S. Navy has acknowledged the existence of UFOs. Well, with the th- with the thing that about pilot that is, and those videos, and the Navy said, "Yeah, we have no idea what that is. What you're seeing but, is the actual tape. It's not messed with. We just don't know what that stuff is." But and then if you listen to-, to the pilot, he's saying it was actually something. There was something. It wasn't like you know light. It wasn't. It was there was something there that was moving in a way that is impossible for what he knows to be able to move and to accelerate and decelerate at speeds that he didn't believe were possible based on what his knowledge of current technology is and that goes that goes into sort of my thing is that they that them acknowledging it's something we don't know what it is just goes into that whole that this might be some sort of natural phenomenon some sort of some sort of lights or something like that that they're seeing um you know something like ball lightning or something like that that's moving in such a way that the pilot is becoming confused or whatever and he doesn't know what it is right exactly. um, that doesn't mean you know it's an actual craft it just means that you know not to mention they've, memory they've seen something they don't know what it is and the government's like yeah we don't know what that is a lot of people take that to mean like oh you know flying saucers or these craft or whatever are real and what they're actually saying is like it's like yeah we don't know what this is you can you can focus on that as opposed to like us supporting like genocide in Yemen, if you want to. Uh, but we're 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 gonna go over here. You just you just mill on that. All I'm saying is that I absolutely believe in something. Like there's something more than just us out there. And honestly, I'm just kind of crossing my fingers and hoping to clap some alien cheeks in my lifetime. Well, I feel you on both <laughs> points, uh, and I think that's really. I didn't really make the distinction here. I'm. I believe in UFOs. I think that there's definitely unexplained phenomena, unexplained flying objects, whatever, that you can't explain. Like, it's, it's the whole ghost hunters thing, right? Like, ghost bro, douchebag, Zach Bagans, he's he's not he's not finding ghosts. But no. sometimes they produce, like, weird evidence, and it's just evidentiary. It doesn't have any value outside of the value you put on it. And that's, mm-hmm. that's where, if you call it a ghost, it's a ghost. If you call an, a UFO an alien it's an alien so then it comes down to the fact that's like steve said that there's probably a simpler explanation 
for all that stuff because it's if you're gonna say it's a UFO or an alien, you have to have outrageous evidence because yeah, I mean, if it, Occam's razor tells us that there's just some natural mm-hmm. phenomenon that we haven't studied out there that's creating these optical sure. illusions for there's immortality or on Earth. We know it. There's freaking uh, zolittles and the Im- the immortal jellyfish, like that that uh, goes back to its like childhood form after a certain period of time and then immediately reverts grows back into an adult and then reverts back to its childhood form it's freaking amazing what? yeah dude, just look up that. google immortal jellyfish it's fucking amazing and it's true i do that after this it's true and just, like that's the kind just, of thing where yeah there's this whole stranger than fiction thing which is that well, you know ufos are too easy too like a lot of that stuff sometimes it's 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 just something we don't know about yet to to close this out on this segment, Ryan, before you look up the immortal jellyfish, I'm gonna do I, it after we. After I, we get I want off you here. to I want you to take a hit of your vape, and say, uh, Steve, show me show me the website, and then and then look at it Joe Rogan style after you after you take a hit of uh, vape. <laughs> it should better be melon flavored. <laughs> um, like our like our boys smoked back in the day. Gave them the pep in their step they needed to beat back Jerry. Oh my god. Um so the last part I want to talk about goes into essentially the the overreaching hand of the United States government being an asshole. Oh and, and this you is, don't say. And this is in nineteen ninety four. Um there were environmental lawsuit attempts against Area fifty one. And this goes back into how they're disposing of aircraft um, the the widows of contractors Walter Kaza and Robert Frost, as well as five unnamed contractors, they attempted to sue um, the U.S. Uh, the EPA um, over um, over injuries that they sustained destroying materials at Groom Lake. Um, and what had happened was that while these contractors and the the spouses. Um, husbands who were contractors while they had worked at Groom Lake, they had been involved in the disposal of experimental materials, and what they used to do was, they would just make garbage pits, and they would just toss the stuff in there, and they would burn it, because it's a black site, like, it's not, it's a black budget program, it's not under the oversight of any sort of enforcement agency, they could do whatever they wanted, so they would just burn these materials, and the guys were burning these materials without any proper protection. Hmm. Um, biochemists at Rutgers University, they analyzed biopsies um, from the complainants and found that they had high levels of dioxide, or dioxin, dibenzofurin, and trichoethylene in their body fat. Um, They allege that they had sustained skin, liver, and respiratory injuries due to their work at Groom. Um, And this contributed to the deaths of Frost and um, and Kaza. The the military and government invoked the state secrets privilege and petitioned U.S. District Court Philip Pro to disallow disclosure of classified documents and secret witnesses. Um, Judge Pro rejected the government's argument. Um, Bill Clinton... Um, President Bill Clinton at that time issued a presidential determination exempting what it called the Air Force's operating location near Groom Lake, Nevada from environmental disclosure laws. So, um, so basically, basically he, he made a presidential, an executive order that said any aircraft 
operating in and around Area 51. You ain't got to tell us what the fuck's going on. Well, no, what he what he said was that the whole area is not subject to environmental laws. Ooh, the whole area. Okay. So okay. because that area of the test range is not under U.S. environmental law, um, Judge Pro dismissed the suit due to a lack of evidence. Um, the the lawyer for the defense Turley appealed the U.S. Court of Appeals. Um, of the Ninth Circuit on the grounds that the government was abusing its power to classify material, um, and, and they were unsuccessful. They were, uh, his appeal was rejected, and the Supreme Court refused to hear it, um, which put an end um, to their complaints. Um, Secretary of the Air Force Sheila E. Wignall filed a brief which stated the disclosures of materials present in the air and water near Groom can reveal military operational capabilities or the nature and scope of classified operations. I mean, there's no way that the court system was going to rule against the government regarding classified areas. Or- well, there is a possibility because they were in violation of these these laws. Like they were just like flagrantly just burning toxic materials in, in a pick. So when they say they're burning materials, this is like the coating that's on a stealth aircraft, which is toxic. Um, it, it's, it's essentially why they tell you like not to burn newspaper or plastic mm-hmm. or things like that in a campfire. Mm-hmm. It's like that on like times a thousand. Hmm. Okay. Um, the president annually issues a determination continuing the groom exception or groom exception, which is the only formal recognition that the government has ever given, um, Groom Lake more than simply as part of a, the Nellis complex. So this is the most the government has sort of stated about Groom Lake other than saying it's a part of the Nellis complex. Okay. Um, an unclassified memo on the safe handling of F-117 Nighthawk materials was posted on Air Force website in 2005. Um, this is part of a Freedom of Information Act reveal. Um, this discussed the same materials for which the complainants had requested information which the government had claimed was classified um so the information in these materials essentially confirmed uh what was in the materials that they were burning and stated you know that that this stuff was toxic and they shouldn't have been burning it and the memo was removed shortly after journalists became aware of it oh my god so these this family just got like screwed over like they're like i'm sure they got I'm sure they got like some sort of like life insurance uh, settlement, but the ones that didn't die, like they they're living with these chronic illnesses. You know, you can't claim disability for for something that doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute here. Yes, I mean, you can, bro. Because let me tell you something <laughs> about my condition. First of all, <laughs> I've got Morgellons disease, or <laughs> As what's his name from Chapo <laughs> Trap House calls it, Morgalon's disease. I've definitely <laughs> got that. And I have chronic fatigue syndrome, all right? Oh my god. I've got both, okay? I just can't wake up. That's all it is. Can't wake up. Some- and it's it's obviously it's clinical, Steve, because I've tried everything. I went to bed at seven thirty one night. I mean, it, it didn't do anything. I still was tired. You're, you're like, that like is like the symptoms you give to get a weed card in states where they have marijuana cards, where it's just like, sometimes I don't feel happy. <laughs> well, we've like, got to well, do something you go. about your clinical depression. 
Listen, it was very easy for me to get my weed card. I went in and I brought the documents from my psych doctor, and I was like, I don't want to be on antidepressants anymore. I'd rather try something different. And the guy was like, okay, here you go. Yeah, I'd go on it, but I'd have to give up my my home protection, so to speak, let's just say. Mm. I won't say what I have, but Mm. I'd have to give that up. So, it sucks. My favorite anecdotes are the ones about people in California back when the weed card was a thing there. And, like, how it was all just, like, retired doctors or doctors who, like, couldn't make it or, or just, like, got malpractice suited out of practice. That's fucking Just hilarious. sort of, like... Just the scumbag like, Dr. Nix. Yeah, just wrinkled Hi, lab everybody. coat. Like, just, like, has a chart in front of you of, like, the ailments that qualify for a weed card. And it's just, <laughs> like, just, like, all right, what do you suffer from? Without, like... Just sort of motioning at the chart, not like outwardly saying you like, have you a pick mysterious illness. Hi, everybody. I will I will close this out by saying, in conclusion, Area 51 is a land of many contracts. <laughs> I hope you had as much fun listening to it. this podcast <laughs> as I did making it. Thank oh, you for your time. This is Brian Williams say. signing off. <laughs> This will be in size 14 font with the uh, with the margins um, put in a little deeper and double spaced. <laughs>